There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kramitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to The Free Lunch with Greg Kraminski and Colin Andrews. Greg, Happy New Year. Good to be back in the new year with you. It is good to be back and Happy New Year to you as well and everyone who's listening. Normally, we would talk about the episode that we had done the previous week, but we didn't do one last week because of the holidays. And so this is our first episode for 2021. And hopefully it'll lead into lots more episodes with hopefully interesting topics. And we'll try to keep presenting new ideas to people. Well, and 2020 sucked the year, of course, but the episodes we did were pretty good. We did do 33 episodes. We had a number of guest speakers on in different arenas or not different arenas, but different areas of finance. And it was pretty good. Now, the year itself, 2020, has to go down as as I said, just one that sucked and one of the worst years in history with agreed some of the darkest hours that we've been through. But so our show today, the reason we're doing our show today is we sent out an investment letter to clients documenting some things about 2020 and how it led us to change some of the things we're doing and reflect on some of the other things. So the letter was being written to communicate how we would characterize this past year what we learned from it, what we learned about our clients and the service we offered, what we did to shift and adjust to market movements in March. A business word people would use there would be like, I don't know, pivot or agile. Yes. And then just focusing on where we are at now and going into this new year and beyond. So why don't you start us off with how we characterized this past year? We meet as a team, of course, a couple of times a week. And as a group, we challenged our team to come up with one word that we could use that would best characterize this past year. And so we asked, when I think about the past year, here is the word I would use. And some of the words that came back to us in our team discussions, we included awakened, informative, creative, perseverance, resilient, perspective, renaissance, adaptive, dedication, grit, courage, focused, passion. So that's a lot of words. And But after much debate, the one word we agreed on was grit. And it's not a word you hear a lot these days, but when you look up a definition of grit, the components are courage, conscientiousness, perseverance, resilience, and passion. And I think those are all pretty good words that summarize how we as a team and all of our investors had to deal with last year. Well, and actually, even some of those words came up on their own, like the words courage, perseverance and resilience and passion all came up as individual words. So it's kind of cool that grit sort of encapsulates all of them. Well, it's true. Look at each of those words. I mean, courage, what does that mean? It's strength in the face of pain or grief, the ability to do something that frightens one. Conscientiousness defined as the quality of wishing to do one's work or duty well and thoroughly. Perseverance, I think most people will get that persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delays in achieving success. Resilience, 
that's a key one for this past year. It's the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties like toughness, the ability of a substance or object to spring back into shape, or elasticity is another word that way. And lastly, passion, which is an intense desire or enthusiasm for something. So I think when you look at that over the past year, our investors, our clients, and our listeners showed true grit. Each one of you demonstrated the courage to stay invested during extremely volatile times. I mean, when you look back in 2020, global stock markets started the year with the worst performing first quarter in history due to the global economic shutdown, of course, as a result of the pandemic. And we all know this now, but at the time, it took courage to stay invested during a time of peak volatility, courage to stay invested during times of fear. So that's something that we all went through and we all managed to hopefully navigate our way through. And as a team, I remember back in March when we were talking about how the market had fallen so quickly and there was just so much unknown out there about the pandemic, the economic shutdown. And to be quite honest, I mean, sure, there were times when I felt fear. Would you agree that you had some fearful moments? It would be unusual not to, I think, in those situations. But as you said, we did have the courage and our investors had the courage to live through it. And now we've got these stories that we get to tell for decades. That's right. I mean, that was certainly a once in a generation event that we're, well, we're still living with it. It's not like it's past, but I think the extreme emotion that accompanied the early part of the pandemic certainly, hopefully has passed. And there's a lot of learnings from the past year. So having grit and staying invested was one thing, but what we also learned or was reinforced was the importance of planning. And we've talked about this in other podcasts, planning being completed with conscientious effort to improve the quality and thoroughness and working with each of our clients on what's important that requires planning money and time. That's something that carried us through. And it's something that we always talk about with clients, but this past year made it really all the more important. Well, and we did a webinar about having a plan versus planning back in, I think it was in November. And we had Blair Howell from our team, a certified financial planner on there and reinforcing the difference between having a plan and following planning and how a wish is not a plan. It's kind of like the world juniors were just on TV, Greg. I know you're not a big hockey guy, but they had a 50-50 draw for each hockey game. Did you see how much those 50-50 draws went for? I did not see that. Okay. The one on the gold medal game was like, I think it was $18 million or $17 million, something like that. (laughs) And the only way you could participate in the 50-50 draw was if you lived in Alberta. So how many people live in Alberta? Like 4 million people or something? Yep. So 4 million people had a chance of winning half of 17 million people. One person did anyways. So, of course, I sat there, I bought a couple tickets, and I thought, oh, would she be so great to win like eight and a half million dollars? But that was a wish. Yes, that wasn't the cornerstone of your financial planning. (laughs) No. (laughs) Buying lottery tickets should never be the cornerstone of your financial plan. Exactly. Well, listen, what else happened last year? I mean, when you talk about perseverance, I mean, work from home measures required a lot of perseverance. We moved to virtual platforms to complete wealth management reviews that typically would have been done in person. And we learned this past year that lots can be accomplished in a virtual world. We launched our podcast focused on investing and financial well-being. 
This was a difficult project to get started, but with perseverance, it's now a weekly item available for download at any time. Except last week, the one week Except we took la- off. <laughs> of course. <laughs> we also started to host webinars, replacing the, our traditional lunch and learn seminars from years past. And embracing the virtual world allowed these types of events to add, hopefully, real value to investors. So again, lots of changes, lots of learning, and lots of progress, as it turned out. And it led to some adjustments. Necessity is the mother of invention, is a saying that I like to hold on to. And adjustments from March. March should not be downplayed. We should not forget what happened in March. March was, as we said at the beginning of this podcast, that was a tough month. The Dow Jones Industrial Average, which a lot of people quote is the U.S. market, and we won't get into the merits of whether or not the Dow Jones is the U.S. market because it's not a great representation, but it's the one that's on TV every day. They always say, what did the Dow do? What did the TSX do? And where's the price of oil? And the Canadian dollar, of course. But of course. the Dow fell about 33% in value from the end of 2019 to its bottom on March 23rd. So as you pointed out, it was the worst first quarter performance in stock market history. And March itself was the worst month on global stock markets since October of 2008. And when you think about it, I mean, and December 31st, I mean, the markets actually peaked in February 20th or something like that. So there was even a more dramatic drop from that peak. It's pretty scary times. And we weren't immune to it in Canada. The TSX fell about 35% in the same period. In March, there was a lot of people asking, what should we do? Should we make any changes? Because this was the worst performing first quarter in history. And at the time, what changes could you have made? Bond yields were incredibly low. Like the US 10-year note was yielding something like 0.6679%. That doesn't pay for a lot of groceries. So it did lead to a lot of questions from investors. Okay, stocks are down 30 to 40%. Bonds are yielding, I don't know, less than 2%. So a lot of people ask the question, well, why do we own these bonds at all? They pay so little. But what March showed us, what it reinforced for you and I anyways, and it showed many others, is that we don't own bonds just for the interest rate that they pay or the coupon that they pay, but they actually protected and preserved wealth for a majority of our investors. So exactly. Greg, some of our bond holdings, as you know, but I'll make the listeners aware. I mean, they returned something like 8% year to date when interest rates were basically at zero. So that can't be about yield. It had to be about fear. It was a fear trade. People were selling stocks and buying bonds and it pushed the price of bonds up. Exactly. Remember back in that same month in March, the US Federal Reserve Do you remember when they cut interest rates to zero, Greg? Yeah. That was like unprecedented. Like they just came out and just immediately cut them to zero. Like it's pretty hard to get lower than zero unless you're a barrel of oil. Exactly. And you do see negative interest rates in some European countries, but it's very rare and it would be very disruptive to the markets if we were to see negative interest rates. So why were they doing that? Well, I'll talk about the US as an example because they're the biggest economy in the world. The US Federal Reserve, they also implemented this quantitative easing strategy, which I don't think we should get into today, Greg. It's probably its own show. That's right. But basically, they're just throwing everything they could at this pandemic, at this economic shutdown. And that's what they did. So interest rates got cut, a whole bunch of money was put into the market through stimulus, which continues today. 
I know in the U.S. they're still talking about this potential $2,000 payment to every American that pays their taxes or something like that. So here's the question then. So as we were going through that, what did we do? I mean, so there's a couple of different options. One, you can succumb to the panic and the fear and sell everything. And clearly many people did for fear that, well, we're down 35% in a month, we can be down another 35% and we'll be wiped out in three or four months. That's one route you could go. The other route you could go, of course, is to just do nothing and say, well, look, I'm not going to react. I'm just going to sit here and wait and hope and pray that things come back and get back to normal. Or you could take active steps. And one of those things, which I think you're going to talk about, would be to rebalance portfolios. For sure. And actually take advantage of the fact that, okay, well, stocks are down a lot. Is there something that we can do without making bold predictions about the future, but something we can do to take advantage of this situation? And there's a ton of evidence out there that shows that market timing doesn't necessarily work that well. Picking individual stocks, I hate to say this to some of the listeners because they might not believe it. It really has the potential to not work well. So what does work? And the evidence points to if you just have a broadly diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds and you rebalance back to a target asset allocation one to four times or more a year, you actually pick up little nuggets of return and your expected return goes up in the future. So I know we did this a number of times this past year. I remember we did a rebalancing in March in our model portfolios. And that was kind of hard to do from a, as we talked about earlier, from a fear perspective, because let's face it, we didn't know what was going to be the bottom. Like there was nothing to say that March 23rd was going to be the bottom of the market. Of course. And I remember doing those rebalancing trades on March 20th. And I don't say that to pat ourselves on the back and say, look how great we did with this. It was just a rule. We have this rules-based investment strategy that says that if the market falls by a certain percentage, we need to rebalance. If the market goes up by a certain percentage, we need to rebalance. Absolutely. And maybe let's just talk about a model portfolio for a minute because not everybody knows what a model portfolio is. So these model portfolios are typically what we recommend in our discretionary accounts. And again, for people that might not know what a discretionary account is, It's strictly an account where the investor gives us, the investment advisors, the discretion to manage the portfolio without daily input or input on the individual transactions that are going to happen. So essentially, we as advisors take on a fiduciary responsibility to the investor because they have given us the authority to go ahead and make whatever transactions in the account we deem appropriate at the time. Well, and before you go down that path, it's there's parameters put into place. There's an agreement between us and the investor over how much risk should be in the portfolio and weightings to certain sectors and not sectors, but securities. Of course. It's not like the wild west. We're not showing grit by. (laughs) (laughs) Not like true grit, the movie with John Wayne. No, that's right. And so based on an agreed upon investment strategy or investment policy, then we as advisors have the ability to make transactions as appropriate for the investor's risk that's already been identified. And so these model portfolios basically are portfolios that we manage. They have specific securities that we track, and they tend to be very consistent from one investor to another, other than possibly differences in allocations between stocks and bonds. But it allows us to track those portfolios very closely. And it allows us at times, like we went through in March, 
where stocks were down 35%. As an example, let's say your investment strategy was to have half your money in stocks, half your money in bonds. Well, by the middle of March, even if you went into March with half your money in stocks, you wouldn't have half your money in stocks by March 23rd or by the middle of March. And so that allowed us to reallocate some of the money that was in bonds, which were doing relatively better, back to stocks, which were doing relatively worse. And by doing that, we had a small part of the portfolio that bought stocks at very low prices. And as we know what happened in the end, the markets rebounded. And those extra purchases, as you mentioned earlier, combined to provide a little bit of extra return that wouldn't have been there if we just held everything that we had without rebalancing. Because you're getting into sort of the emotional component of investing, which says, well, why would I buy now? I'll wait for the market to bottom and then go back up or something to that effect. Exactly. I think actually another thing that came out of March, an adjustment from March was actually more focused around things like mental health. I mean, and this term of flattening the curve. Flattening the curve in economic terms refers to the difference between short-term and long-term interest rates. And there's a lot of discussion around if short-term rates are higher than long-term rates or if short-term rates are lower than long-term rates, it can lead to flattening the curve. And that's an economic indicator. And some people view that as a recessionary indicator. But flattening the curve took on a whole new meaning in March. And it was... <laughs> Did it ever. Had nothing to do with interest rates, which were at zero, <laughs> right? So Exactly. But what it did show us is that there were other things at work here. I mean, I read a study recently that reported that depression rates in the United States were up as much as 300%. That's crazy, but it's understandable. So as a group, we did focus our communications on things that would provide hope to investors and to our team members and to ourselves. And we did host a positive psychology webinar with investors. And it was one of our best received and most fulfilling events that I can ever recall doing. And it was with an external company. I won't mention them by name, but their initials are DFA, which stands for Dimensional Fund Advisors. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a money manager that also looked at the psychological impact of investing. So it's, that was a really cool presentation. And it was something that in the past we probably wouldn't have done And if we had done it, it would have been done in a lunch and learn series to which we would have had, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 attendees. And instead, we're able to do it virtually. Everybody was able to watch it from home. And we had north of 100 people attend it. That was a great webinar. And I think probably one that we'll probably try to run again in the future. Well, especially if things continue on the way they are down south. I mean, there's going to be (laughs) some need for some positive psychology for sure. So we did that because we wanted to remove this emotional component from investing and show people that there's more to it. And that's where we were at. So how that leads into where we are at now is that I think it's fair to say that our team and our investors have shown incredible resilience over this last year. It's just a way of showing each other what we lived through. We stayed the course. It paid off. Our portfolios were resilient in the rebounded tremendously back to all-time highs, which is, I guess, that elasticity you mentioned earlier. Yep. And that more importantly, the investors we deal with and the team that we are a part of demonstrated resilience and elasticity in the day-to-day work that has been achieved since. And what that's led to is 
maybe a renewed passion for what we're doing. I personally believe that it is incredibly important work. I mean, working with somebody's financial future is pretty personal and pretty important. It is. And it is really the reason why we do it. Again, we do it for that reason, to help people and to give advice and to sort of be partners with them as they plan their financial futures. And that's way better than picking stocks. Way better. Although picking stocks is a lot of fun. It's oh, it just, can be. <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't work that well. But yeah, this enthused passion really comes back to serving our clients. And we feel fortunate that those people allow us to work for them because they have a choice. And Absolutely. We just happen to believe we're a pretty good one. But why don't you close this part of the discussion out? Well, just as we are now closing the books on 2020 and welcoming 2021 with much more optimism than we've been through in the last six months or so, we as a team just want to thank all of you, all of our investors, all of our listeners for your grit. Collectively, we have passion, resiliency, perseverance, conscientiousness, and courage needed to take on future events. And I think we can say as a team, we're well prepared to deal with the future obstacles that will occur in all of our financial lives. So there's going to be future events that come up, but we have the foundation and skill set to work through sort of anyone that does. That's a standing ovation, Greg. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. (laughs) No, it's true. I remember in 2008, 2009 and how that felt. And it felt the same in March. And we will have that feeling again in the future. But we, as you point out, we do have the tools and the skill set to deal with it, and we're well prepared. So as Gord Downey and the Tragically Hip sing, and I won't sing it to you, I will just read you the lyrics. Thank you. I only sing to myself in the car when nobody else is around, but it's either it'll move me or it'll move right through me fully and completely. And to me, that just resonates with what you started this discussion with, having the courage in the face of fear to not make drastic moves that could potentially hurt you in the future. Right on. And following on that, despite how awful 2020 was in so many ways, surprisingly, there were actually some really good things that happened in 2020. Tell us. Well, let's see. So while there was a global community of scientists came together, found a vaccine in record time. I mean, they went from not knowing that there was a pandemic a year ago to having vaccines out there and being needles in arms in less than a year. Crazy. That's unbelievable. So there you go. And not only that, in order to do those vaccine trials, they had to have tens of thousands of people volunteering to take the shot and to take the chances that come with being in medical research. Well, and let's talk about this selfless dedication of our frontline workers over the last year. And we often talk about frontline workers as being doctors and nurses and people of, of that. But I remember in March, April, May, and every month since going to the grocery store, I went all the time to get food. And those people were also frontline workers. That's right. A lot of people found meaning in connecting with young or adult children, older relatives and others. So just keeping in touch more than you might normally when life is normal and you're just wrapped up in your busy lives and don't have time for other people. Well, and even just connecting and reconnecting with friends, relatives, colleagues on virtual platforms or social media. Unbelievable. Personally speaking, I have close friends, friends that have been friends for 50, 60 years in some cases. And we would talk once every three or four months, typically. And we've been connecting every week for the last nine months now. That's amazing. Fantastic. And with that, 
here's a fun one. The rebirth of the drive-in movie theater, which you don't see a lot of in Calgary, but there was one. And I have to tell you, as you know, Greg, but the listeners don't, my brother launched that. And it was at Telespark, and it was pretty cool to be able to go and sit in your car with your kids and watch a movie. Who would have thought that would be one of those things that you would have been written off as dead? You actually did, and maybe this is more in Canada than the US, but you did have politicians from all sides coming together with some sort of unity to fight COVID. And that is another rare event to see politicians coming together that way. Well, I think that is Canada specific currently based on what's currently happening in Washington, D.C., which we won't get into. But the central banks, as we mentioned, they threw everything at this thing. They threw everything, maybe including the kitchen sink, to fight a battered economy and get us to a place where things start to improve. And it worked. GDP dropped by the most ever in the second quarter of the year. And I think it responded or recovered by the most ever in the third quarter of the year. So those actions of the central banks accomplished their goals for sure. Let's just pick a couple more. How about carbon dioxide emissions? Those declined during the pandemic, as you'd expect when people weren't driving and cars were off the road. In Italy, the canals in Venice cleared up because all of the boat traffic on the canals was basically eliminated for a while anyway. So it gave the world just a breather, is what you're saying. Exactly. That's right. Well, and I know with us, we picked up a new puppy during COVID, as did many people. (laughs) So there's lots of people walking, lots of dogs walking these days. The dogs are happy, that's for sure. And I think one of the things which affects all of us, and we're doing it right, living it right now, is that working from home, like it's not really a dream anymore. It's a reality. It had started prior to the pandemic, but the pandemic really kickstarted it and really accelerated the pace at which work from home became a reality. And it's not everybody's choice, but everybody can do it, it seems, or most people can do it better than they would have thought they could beforehand. Yeah. I remember having those discussions with you about, hey, what do you think about working from home one day a week or one day a month and feeling guilty about it? And now, I mean, this is just the way it is. That's right. Well, listen, that was good. That was a good wrap up of some fun things. Oh, or not fun things, but good things that happened in 2020. One last thing I want to finish with, Greg, is my LA Dodgers won the World Series. That was exciting for me. Right. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's baseball, right? (laughs) It is baseball. Yes. I think in this discussion, we've covered some hockey and some baseball and we'll cover some other sports sooner. Right on. Listen, for fun, what are you doing? What are you reading, watching, doing? Well, I think as I mentioned last time, I started a 900 and some page book by Ken Follett, The Evening and the Morning. And I think I'm maybe 100 pages in. And it's a wonderful book following on, it's actually a prequel to a book that he had written years ago called Pillars of the Earth, which is also just a tremendous book, but it requires some commitment. So I'm committed, but I'm not there yet. That's good. That's good. Well, I just finished One Page Financial Plan by Carl Richards. Very good book. Very easy read. I've been reading a lot of nonfiction these days and a lot of heavy stuff. So I decided to treat myself and I'm reading Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey, which I'm not sure if it's, I know it's nonfiction, but I don't think it'll be too heavy. Probably not. But it's supposed to be a really good book. Well, that's good. I'll be interested in hearing about it when you're done. And what about watching? You watching anything these days? We finished a couple of series on Amazon Prime, and we've just started another one. It's a science fiction series called The Expanse, 
We're not sure yet, but it's pretty interesting. So I'll report on that as well. We're only four or five episodes in. So perfect. we'll see how that one goes. But we are big science fiction fans. So we're hoping for the best on this one. Yeah, you guys are a bunch of Trekkies over there, right? Some of us, yes. <laughs> well, I've been watching Your Honor. Have you heard of that one? I have heard of that, yeah. Yeah, it's really good. You should, well, if you have time at some point. Well, we all have time these days. When could I possibly squeeze that in? Yeah, honestly, it's some of the best TV series I've seen in a long time. Is it a legal drama, I believe? It is. It's the guy from Breaking Bad. Oh, yes. He's a judge and something happens to his son. And I won't spoil it for you, but it's really good. What about local events? Let's say New Year's resolutions. Do you make any of this year or do you do that? I did. I decided that this year I'm going to stop being so perfect. (laughs) Just let myself go a little bit, maybe eat more, maybe put on a couple of pounds and just not be the perfect specimen that I've been for the last year. What about you? I can't top that. I can't top that. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't made resolutions in the past, so I won't call them resolutions. I kind of make them as short-term commitments. Short-term could be a day, a week, a month, a quarter, a year. You decide. But my short-term commitments are to cut out some things like pop and chips from my diet. And I know that that sounds silly, but I love my chips. I've been told that the best way to sort of really be good to your body and to get into shape is really stop eating the things that you really like. If only I really liked fruits and vegetables. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I guess that does it for today. So here we are, 2021. Greg, thanks. This has been fun. It has been. And we'll look forward to talking to everyone next week. Yes. Next week when we will be talking about something even more exciting. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Okay. All right. Till next time. You bet. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2020.